Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Vera, you're a beautiful woman. You're a beautiful woman. What are you doing later tonight? (laughs) (laughs) I'm free. Have we recording? You're recording. Well, there's our right now. Good luck, everybody. Have fun. Thanks, Sammy. Well, we have another guest this week on Chickstree. This is our second episode back. Yeah. For our new season. And, and our, our very first guest. And our very first guest back again. How good's that? And it's a wonderful guest that we've got this week because I feel like I know her only a little bit better than Australia knows her. I'm going to say what. 13 seasons. You came in the second season, third season, mm-hmm. so what, 12, let's say 11 seasons you've done mm-hmm. of the absolutely amazing, award-winning, Logie award-winning show, mm-hmm. Gogglebox. Yep. You are one-third of my, f- f- can, I shouldn't say it, but my favourite household. Oh, because it's the three that. generational women, mm-hmm. the powerhouses that are Emmy, Kerry and Isabel. Mm-hmm. I'd like to welcome Kerry Milligan. Thank you so much for joining us. We are so honoured to have you. Can I ask you Mm -hmm. something about the Silbries? Yes. Why the Silbries? Because I know that's not (gasps) anyone's last name. That's a very good question, Evie. Well, it was when we started doing Gogglebox, I was working in adolescent psychiatry at Monash Hospital. Oh, wow. And we didn't tell you know, patients and parents, our last names. It was all about professionalism and boundaries and that kind of thing. So I just thought, oh, if I'm going to be on national television, I don't want to really be contactable. Uh-huh. Right. So we decided as a group that we would take Isabel's married name at that time, which was Silbury. And the irony is she's not married anymore. That's right. Her name's not Silbury. Your name's not Silbury. Emmy's name's not Silbury, but you're all still the, the Silburys. Look, Evie, this brings up the issue of feminism mm. and um, my um, my abhorrence of uh, women taking their mm-hmm. husbands' names. Oh, uh, you are preaching to the choir. <laughs> so we probably need a whole program to talk yeah, about. Yeah, we certainly do. But the funny thing is that your not your maiden name, um, but Isabel's grown-up like name, which she doesn't have now, is beautiful. It is, and, and it, French. Well, why do you think we? You know, I I worked out very carefully because I think names are really important. Yeah, I worked out very carefully when she was born what her well, name yeah. would be yeah. for the rest of her life because it all worked. Yes, yeah, yep. and it's a great it's a great last name. Be- what is it? Gaspar. That's it. Oh, Gaspar. My dad thought that when when Isabel's dad and I got married, my father said, "Why don't you just combine your names to Gasmil?" <laughs> I said, "No, Dad, that would not good." It sounds a little bit farty. Yeah. <laughs> 
Comes so, you know that factory down the road that collects farts? <laughs> the gas mill. Yep. No, but oh. wow. wow. So how are you? Good. Very good, actually. You, we've just come out of a lockdown. I know. I'm feeling great. Yeah? My diary, my dance card is mm-hmm. chockers. Good. good. So it should be. Mm. And ours is as well. And and it, it's it's like we we know enough now after five lockdowns to mm-hmm. go quick, 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 get it all in. Don't, don't waste because time. Because we don't you know, know when know. the next one's going to happen. No, that's right. That's the thing. And I read something the other week that it's more, I think it might have been Clementine actually, mm. who said it's, for, for us now, the tiring thing is just the waiting of yeah. like when, when is the next one coming. We're in this weird limbo yeah. of... Don't get too happy. Don't get too excited. Don't plan too oh, much. You can't plan yeah. anything. That's just right. yeah, and so it's just this constant. Our nervous systems mm. are all like mm. yeah. When? But I'm double vexed. Yeah, me too. Me I've too. got one more to go. One more yep. to go. So I'm feeling very relaxed. Me too. Good. I am as Good. well. But. I really can't wait until there's so many more of us. Mm. Um, my friend who lives in um, Santa Santa Monica, anyway, she lives in LA somewhere. <laughs> and Santa Monica, Santa no Santa Santa Barbara, Santa Barbara, oh, okay. the really nice one, the nice right. one. Um, she lives next door to Oprah or someone. Oh, Ellen, oh, maybe I don't know. They're right. famous and they're rich. Yeah. She doesn't. She lives in a much smaller place. But yeah, she was like, "What's going on over there?" And then she said, "It's so amazing. Once you get." the vax numbers up the lockdown stop and yeah. I'm like yeah just that let's simple. just get vaxxed so it's not happens. rocket science no. it's not let's just get the lockdowns because that what you were just saying Annie that mm. feeling of when is it going to happen mm. again just to have that removed yeah yeah. would be lovely mm, yeah. and know that, you know, we're mostly protected from a virus that is not going anywhere Mm-mm. and we're all mm. probably going to get it, but we want to have, you know, as less severity as possible. So just fuck those lockdowns off. Jesus. Yeah. Even though I've got to be honest, I bloody don't mind a lockdown in the beginning. It's like, oh, I could cancel all my plans and I've yeah. got a really good. And then I go, okay, lockdown, I've done enough now. Please go away. Mm, and, mm. you know, so that would be. I don't know what we're all going to do. But that, I think, also plays on your mental health a bit because Mm. you get so used to, like, for an introvert, I'm an introvert, so not having... Not having to come up with an excuse to not to not go out. Mm. You're like, well, it's kind of good for an introvert. You can kind of just yeah. go under the radar a little bit. Yes. No one's going to yep. bother you. My fancy man's an introvert. Yes. He's a painter, so yep. it suits him oh, perfectly. Yeah, loves it. He just paints all day. And oh, then, and now yeah. I'm getting reverse ang- anxiety when we come out of lockdown. I yeah. start thinking, oh god. People are going to start asking me to go yeah. places. I'm going to have to like make go ex- places. I'm going to have to make excuses. excuses yeah. <laughs> so it's this weird like, yeah. do I prefer lockdown? Well, I don't. But to an it's extent, kind of safe. It feels safe yeah. for an, for an introvert. You know, everyone mm. that asks me, "How are you going in lockdown?" Mm. I'm like, you know what? I'm fine in lockdown. My life mm. is so simple and boring. To others, it's not to me. But the only things I miss in lockdown is going out for dinner. Mm. Yeah, Just yeah, going out for dinner. Yeah, and I, I don't want to go out raging. And you know, I'm really do feel for young people that do want to do that that can stay out all night long mm. and are allowed to do that and touch each other and I think <laughs> my, my niece is like young and my nephew is younger but they're both adults and they're living their life yeah um not the way I lived my life at that age that yeah and I, I'm I'm so over zoom 
Yeah. The only, I refuse to do anything on Zoom now yeah, except my good. dance classes yeah. because yeah. we can't do them in real life. Yeah. Mm. So I do three dance classes a week on Zoom and that's it. Oh, I good won't on do you. What dance else. classes do you do? I do a dance called Nia. Do you know, have you ever no. heard of Nia? So it's a, it's a mix of sort of a bit of hippy-dippy stuff yeah. with a bit of modern, a bit of jazz bit of yoga, a bit of martial arts. Oh, lovely. Wow. And the music is always fantastic and it's a 45-minute class and I do it three times a week and I always feel good. That's amazing. I'm going to get on well, here. Yeah. The link. And our listeners would probably love to. Yeah. Like, NIA, N-I-A. N-I-A. They okay. can look it up. And, and anyone can oh. join. Anyone can. Well, I do it with a teacher who, called Tiffany. And if you email her, she'll put you on, on the, the list, list and you can do it. That's it's fantastic. Yeah, That's so good. And, and if you miss been... a class, she'll send it to you. Oh, that's great. Annie, you've been doing similar yeah. with the meditation. With the meditation, I've been doing um, a program called Kaya. A girl called Leah Simmons, who people might know, she used to be a, a personal trainer and she had a business called Body by Leah Simmons and she's a very beautiful woman. So she's come up with this program that's the four pillars. She calls it the four pillars of health. So you do um, Pilates, we do Kundalini uh, meditation, we do movement, we do uh, integrative like armhole. It's so hard, but you know, it's just, and it's beautiful. She talks you through it and you come out of it feeling like a superwoman. Mm. Like you honestly come out of it thinking if I can hold my arms up for, and I never do because I'm, I drop them every couple few minutes, but (laughs) she talks to you like, won't you? She's like, it's just how much longer it's your, can you get over your mind? And what's the first thing that comes up for you? And for me, it's like, this is too hard. I can't do this. Mm, And how many times do you use that in your life Mm, going forward? So it's Mm. just, so she's doing free classes every day. Um, She promised to do them during lockdown. She's in Sydney and she had come out when the first lockdown, she thought, I think that thinking it was only going to go for two weeks. And she had 560 people. On wow. her Zoom call the other day. Wow. Yeah, it's a movement. It's it's un and she was just, you know, floods of tears. Mm. Just so grateful. Yeah. Um, it resonates and, with so many. And well, they need it. You yeah. need that kind of thing. And it becomes a community of it's love. It's such a beautiful community and everyone turns their cameras on yeah. and has a little you know. Like well, when I know, first started doing the Nia it was at the beginning because we were doing it live, you know, in a, in a mm. studio, and then we had to do it on Zoom. And the first time I did the class, I just cried. Wow. I cried because did, yeah. we'd been in lockdown. Yeah. I'd been isolated. Yeah. And Beautiful. I hadn't been, you know, I'd walked the dog. hadn't connected. But, you know, hadn't connected. Mm, and it's yeah. the music. You know, yeah. dance is such a wonderfully creative thing to do. Yeah. It's important. It's, yeah. it's a wonderful it's thing It's like any do. art mm. that is just so incredibly important. Yeah. That, you know, our government needs to understand that just how important it is but i digress we have speaking of creative we normally don't know our guests are chick in history but Mm. you have told me and i'm very excited to hear about this chick in history so please without further ado Mm. take it away well we got when you asked me you know if i could come and do a podcast on a woman in history that had influenced me in some way i thought oh there's so many i think i sent you a list (laughs) saying there were so many and then i thought no i probably need to just talk about one and who would be the most interesting one, and I thought about Mercamora because you know she's a Melbourne person. Yep. Yeah. Yep. She's got that French thing too, which of course I've I've also got, which is always very interesting. And she's an artist, and I'm an art teacher, so it Beautiful. just made sense. 
Now, over the years, of course, I had done so many of Merca's classes because Merca did something like 40 years or no, probably not that much, but I've got it written down. I've got eight pages of notes here. Um, now, last I spoke to you, you had five pages. Oh, You've gone to eight, oh, have you? Oh, there's a few. Oh, that's not too bad. That's, that's we're okay. looking at it like you, that's not full page. Like, double-sided. Oh, shit. Oh, <laughs> yeah. All right, well, let's start, shall we? Well, so she... I love someone who does a bit of good research. Well, Trust I'm, me. That I'm yes, bloody That's right. You can't help. Bloody so good. So she did teach... Oh, here we go. She won the Zellman Cohen Award for her 23 years of teaching at the CAE, oh, the Council wow. of Adult Education. And she taught painting, drawing, textiles, mosaics. So I did quite a few of her classes. And I remember... When I was pregnant with Isabel, I was doing one of her classes oh, wow. in my old art building wow. at Melbourne Uni, actually. So it was a lovely experience. Wow. And um, Merca drew this little drawing of a cherub for me and wrote a little dedication underneath it to oh, me, which I've got that's framed. So special. I was going to bring it to show oh. you, but I couldn't pull it off the wall. A, no, that's okay. Well, you can take a photo and we can <laughs> yeah. pop it up on the yes, Instagram. I will. Yep. I will. That would be great. So I just thought of Merca and the fact that right now in Melbourne at the Jewish Museum, there's a retrospective exhibition about her. Yeah. Is there? There is. And oh, I've good. been to see it probably two or three times now oh. because it's so extensive. Oh, fantastic. And and incredibly informative. Mm. And upstairs they've got, it starts right from the beginning of her life with photographs and diary entries and all mm. sorts of amazing things. And then down, with her paintings as well. Yeah. And then downstairs they've got a two-hour looped video interviewing a whole lot of people in Melbourne who knew her very closely, but also, very interestingly, interviewing her in about 1993. She did an interview with the Holocaust Centre in Melbourne because they were getting witness statements from the Holocaust, and she does this very lengthy interview. And Merca was always such um, a positive, happy person, always engaged with other people. She Mm -hmm. was very warm, very generous, but, of course... As we were talking about before, with most people, there's an underlying story of trauma. Yeah. Yeah. But she would never talk about it. Right. But the Holocaust um, Centre's interviewer really pushed her hard. And you can see in this interview Mm. that she didn't want to talk about it. She kept saying, I don't remember, I don't remember. Mm. But when pushed, she actually starts crying and she talks about her experience as a very young girl. She was 14 when, when Paris fell to the Nazis. And she had, she remembers um, things like they Jewish people in Paris then were not allowed to have pets. They were not allowed to have tele- the telephone. Oh, there were separate carriages on the metro for them, mm. and they had to wear the yellow star on their clothes. And Merca's mother, who was a little seamstress, she was a dressmaker, she made a star for Merca that had lace all around it. And, but they were a bit worried that it might make Merca stand out mm-hmm. and be targeted. But anyway, Merca wanted that to happen. But she says that she remembers that um, the gendarmes... So, so there's a lot of history here, of course. So mm. when Paris was occupied and the Jews were taken away, um, the, the, the Jewish documentary that I saw at the Jewish Film Festival a few years ago was called uh, Being Jewish in France. And the witness statements were that All of the witnesses said that they remembered the Gestapo coming and taking them away. And the director says to them in interviews, it wasn't the Gestapo, it was the French police, the gendarmes. And they kept saying, no, 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 that's not possible. That Mm. would never have happened. We're French. They would never have taken us away. But Mm. then they were shown film footage and it was the French police. 
So the French mm. policemen came the under the rule of. So the French Occupation. police, yeah, and so they, and then they were, just had to. They were forced mm. to do. Yeah, mm. but the the story about Merkis family is really interesting because the gendarme came to the door at about seven thirty in the morning, and said to her parents, um, "You need to pack your things. You're going." And they just flew into an absolute panic because nobody really thought this would happen. They'd heard rumours, mm. mm. but they never thought it would happen. They couldn't do that to us. We're French, you know. Why would they do that to us? Yeah. So he said, all right, well, you're not ready. I'll come back later. So he came back at 11.30 and he said, are you ready? You know, I told you to pack. You have to go. And again, they said, but no, why? You know, you can't. What, where are you taking us and why? So he went away again mm-hmm. and he didn't come back until 1.30. So he's obviously saying to them, just go. Right, get, yeah. get out. Right. Yeah, because why would he give them so yes. many chances? Yes. So that's an opportunity. The mum had said to the dad, mm. you know, just go to a neighbour's and hide because if something happens to us, you can come and rescue us. Mm. So when the guy, the gendarme came back at 1.30, he took mum and the three girls, she had three sisters, to the gendarmerie and then they were sent to this arena. It reminded me so much of the Superdome in New Orleans when that Mm, happened. Oh, right, yeah. They were sent to this arena for three days and three nights. They were in this horrible place with no toilets and people sick and vomiting and and horrible, horrible experience. And then they were loaded onto a cattle truck Mm. train and they were taken to the concentration camp. Now, the story goes that on the way to the camp... Merka's mother had been very resourceful and she had paper and an envelope and a pen in her bag. And she said to Merka, look through the cracks and tell me the names of all the stations we're going through. So she wrote down the names of all these stations. She folded up. I get chills. I got got goosebumps. She folded it up into an envelope. She put her husband, the home address, name Mm. and home address, no stamp. And Merka pushed it through the little cracks in the cattle cattle truck. Oh, wow. And it t- tumbled down the, the railway line. Now, somebody picked it up, put a stamp on it, and posted it. So their oh father, Merka's dad, got the information, worked out where they were. And because he was working in a... Um, he was working in some sort of textiles factory at that point, and they were making gloves for the Nazi soldiers. Mm. And he said to his boss... Now, these, this family, were my family, were workers in the factory and they were working for the war effort and, you know, we need them back here. So three weeks later, he was able to rescue them oh, wow. and they were the only people in that small group who were rescued who survived. The rest were sent to Auschwitz and gassed. Oh, my God. So Merka went through her life oh. having survivor guilt. Yeah. And she remembers, she, so she was 14 or something, mm. she remembers being in the little horse and cart leaving the concentration camp and looking back with her pockets stuffed with letters from, from all else. of the, the oh. people in the camp. Um, she remembers looking back at them up against the wire mm-hmm. with their big, because, you know, they were all malnourished, with their big eyes. And if you know anything about Merka's paintings, yeah, big they've eyes. all got these big yeah. eyes. Wow. Oh, my God. Wow. It's an amazing story of survival. That's incredible. incredible. Yeah. That- so that's what her paintings are. They're yeah. all about the children in the camp, 
the lovely, because she couldn't cope with that trauma and she kept um, trying to push it all back in her mind, she would draw all these lovely or paint all these beautiful bucolic scenes of animals and angels and children and mm. and a, mm. she did a lot of eroticism, so a mm-hmm. lot of sex stuff because yep. she enjoyed that part of her life, Good I think. Good, yeah. Amazing story. Wow. If you are loving this podcast, why don't you rate and review us that's it also follow us now i think it's called follow it's not subscribe yeah. anymore there's a little plus button just yeah. push it follow us and you'll get a little tick and we'll be like there you go followed yeah Boom. give us Done. five stars that'd be great if you could if you could but honestly truthfully that's the only reason how we're gonna get out there don't sound too desperate any but please no um what a hey want to get us to new and noteworthy us rating and reviewing. Yes. Five stars only. <laughs> also, you can follow us on Instagram. We're at Chickstery underscore podcast. And we're also now on TikTok because that's what all the cool kids are doing. Yeah. At Chickstery podcast. Ratchet. <laughs> so where, now where was she born? She was born in Paris. In Paris. What year was exactly. she born? Oh, here we go, my notes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm just yes. glad I've done this. Yes. She was born in 1928. 1928. Her father was Lithuanian and her mother was Romanian. Right. And her father was actually a life model at the Louvre at one point. Oh, wow. Really? Mm. Wow. Interesting, isn't yeah. it? I, I was just reading about the woman who started the Louvre. Oh, the really? Other day. Yeah, Lillian oh. someone. And there's a restaurant mm. here called Lillian's. Oh, there is Lillian Whiteman. Oh, the restaurant or the dress shop? Oh, I don't know. No, oh, I have mm. to. I, I, I was thinking <coughs> we've got. I've got to do this. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. Chick Street, this yeah. woman. She sounds. Yes. I want to get right into her. Um, but right. So when she she escaped, well, obviously when the war was over, did they come to Australia? As well, a so the story was after the war, um, they went back to their apartment, and of course it had been stripped. Yeah. There's so many people, mm. Jewish mm. people. All their art taken. Everything. Well, they didn't. Mm. They weren't wealthy people. Right. But her dad was an antique dealer at one point. He was a bit of a, um, I don't know what you'd call it in English, but um, he it was a jack of all trades, really. He did a yeah. bit of this and a bit of that. And mo- her mother brought in money from making clothes and, and stuff like that. But Merka says that she was really shocked when they walked into the apartment and everything was empty, mm-hmm. except she opened up her cupboard and she found a nest of baby mice in the cupboard. Mm-hmm. And she thought, there is hope. Oh. Isn't that beautiful? Yes. Yeah. I love mice yeah. and rats, and Ooh. a lot of people don't, obviously, because they're vermin. But I think they're just the cutest little things, and they are amazing. I'm a rat in um, the Chinese in calendar. The Chinese calendar. Mm-hmm. And uh, the more you read about rats, they're just an incredible animal. They can survive mm. anything. Oh, yeah. And that's what I love yeah. that. Again, probably. Yeah. Hmm? They'll survive Armageddon. Absolutely. Yeah. We're like yeah. the cockroaches of the vermin world. <laughs> anyway, Merka decided after the war that she didn't want to go back to school. Right. right. It was all too much. She just thought, no, you know, this has been so horrible that I just want to get on with life. So she basically worked in a Jewish orphanage because there were so many Jewish children mm. who's lost their parents, oh, lost their families. Yeah. Um, and she also enrolled in a drama class at the drama school in Paris, and that's where she met Marcel Marceau because he was one of her teachers. Oh, wow. 
Wow. So they were firm friends all their lives. Wow. And through Marcel Marceau, she met her future husband. Right. Now, he was quite, and, and their story is amazing. So George, George, and Marcel, during the war, were resistance fighters mm-hmm. in the Alps, in the French Alps. And they would rescue Jewish children and dress as nuns and oh take them across gosh. the Alps to safety. It's like the sound of music. Yeah, well, that's exactly what I was thinking. Climb every bloody mountain that's dressed as a nun. And that's they had amazing. this they had this thing. What where is it you cunt face, Maria? <laughs> <laughs> and they had this thing where um, they knew that if they were pulled up by the Nazis, um, that if they had they so they packed all these lunches for the kids and they made these baguettes, you know, in France mm. you have the baguette roll thing and it's stuffed with cheese and and ham and things. Oh, yeah. Um, and they stuffed it with camembert so that the camembert melted and they knew that the Nazi soldiers thought their gloves were so precious that they would never touch the camembert or the the rolls because they'd get all their gloves messed up. So they had all these secret papers all written in the the rolls because they took the children over the Alps. Isn't it That's amazing what people do to survive? Right, yeah. And all these stories that you, you just you can live three lifetimes yeah. and still not hear all the stories totally. of people that what they do to survive. So yeah. I think George's George's um, code name was Monsieur Camembert. I think. Oh. I'm just looking it <laughs> That's up. That's bad. It's Oh, that's it is a band, it is and too. maybe that's who it's named wow. after, Miss When Mirka met George, she was quite a bit younger than him. I think she was about seventeen, and he was twelve or thirteen years older than her. And um, when she met him, she said, "I just fell in love with his hands." Oh. And that was that mm. rang a bell with me because when I met Isabel's dad, I fell in love with his ears. Right, he has these little elfin ears, which yeah. she's oh. got. You'll yeah. notice when yeah. you see her next time. Anyway, so she fell in love with his hands, and she decided, "I have to have sex with this man." And she told him, she said, "I want to have sex with you." And he said, "But you're seventeen. You're a virgin. I can't do that." And she said, "Well, let's get married then, so I can have sex with you." So oh, they did. Wow. Wow. And so they, she were knew they what she together wanted. forever? Like, did they? Well, their story is very interesting. So, not long after that, um, she so they got married. She got pregnant with her eldest boy. And then the Cold War started. You know, they, they were very worried in Europe about the Cold War at that point. And she was so traumatised by the mm. Second World War and all the children, you know, being abandoned and taken away and so on, that she said to George, I don't want to stay here anymore. I want to go somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And George said, um, well, I've got a job offer in Saigon. I've got a job offer in Casablanca. Um, we could go there. And she said, no, I want to go to Melbourne. <laughs> Oh, Saigon and Casablanca, Melbourne. Why? This is 1950. <laughs> yeah. Why did she? Well, what so was... two reasons that she says. One was that as a little girl in her school reader, there was a story about a kangaroo who was a postman and kept the letters in his pouch. Yeah, right. So she loved that idea of kangaroos. And then as a teenager, because she loved literature and ancient history and that, that, as a teenager she read this amazing book about a bohemian French artist who went to live in Melbourne and the Mm. bohemian lifestyle in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. So it was set in the 1850s or something, Mm. 1860s. So she thought, Melbourne, that's Mm. where I want to go and it's the 
furthest away from Europe that I can think of. Yeah. So right. they got on a plane my, that and was they why came my here. grandfather chose it as well. And was, guess where they ended up living? You won't believe this. Fitzroy. McKinnon. Uh, now, I don't know where that is. You're talking about two sophisticated artistic Parisians, because at that point George was an art dealer, right? Living in suburban McKinnon in 1950. So tell us, so, for yeah, because we're listeners. two and we're two Sydney girls. Yeah. So where is McKinnon? Well, it's like the, one of the middle ring suburbs. It's sort of Carnegie, right? More, further out than Malvern, right. Carnegie. Yep. So we're not talking Bohemian all, Brunswick was, was or it, um, cause, um, Caulfield, Carnegie is where uh, all the Jews that's were, right. Balaclava and everything. So is it was is that why they okay, went there? No. Not really. No. no. Um, but Merca ended up, of course, going to um, Ackland Street. She loved Ackland Street. She loved all the the Bohemian life there with all the mm-hmm. refugees and, and mm-hmm. Holocaust survivors there. But so they ended up in McKinnon. So she's living in McKinnon. <laughs> She'd never lived in suburbia. She was wow. a Parisian. Yeah. So apparently the story goes that the front lawn, the grass on the front lawn grew to waist height and the neighbours were complaining. Oh, they would have been appalled. So you know what she did? She got some kerosene, she poured it over the front lawn, set fire to it. She thought, oh, well, that's how I'll get rid of it. Got rid of it. She was an incredible provocatrice, you yes, would say, in yeah, French. Yeah. She just thought, I've been through hell yeah. and I'm going to live life to no the fullest. She had no fucks to give. She didn't. And she loved, she loved it. Coming to Melbourne, you can imagine how conservative it yeah. was. Yeah, yeah. Incredibly conservative yeah. and so English. And so patriarchal. Yep. Yeah. And she just decided, fuck them. Yes. yes. So she, they would get, she and George would get invited to all these functions. And there's even some talk that um, Gough Whitlam, this is years later, mm. Gough Whitlam was at one of the functions when she, she used to do things like she did it in class too. She would just lift up her top and bare her breasts just to, whenever when it got boring. You know, flash her boobs. She got I've been known to do that after yes, a few yes. vodka and or she'd, bloody she'd, sodas. She'd wear these lovely little lace undies and she'd just flick oh, up the back oh, of her dress and flash her bum at people. Good on her. Oh, and Goff, so apparently funny. the first time Gough Whitlam ever saw this, he just fell madly in love with her after yeah. that. Oh. Yeah. Because she'd be like a little pixie French woman, like mm. just this bohemian pixie woman who's just crazy and does anything. And she'd be so fun to have at parties. Wouldn't she? Yeah. She was yes. absolutely outrageous. Yeah. She really was. And her, her sons complained about her as a young mum. And Isabel used to do this with me, actually. Um, because she would come do the school pickup dressed in, you know, outrageous clothes yeah, that yeah. she'd got from, from op shops and yeah. things. Always lots of colour, mm-hmm. lots of frills. So embarrassing. And, and they it was so embarrassed. Mortified. Yeah. And, you know, Isabel once said to me when I came to pick her up from school, she said, Mum, all my friends think you've just been to a fancy dress party. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Why can't you dress like all the Just, other mums? Yeah, be normal. Boring. Yeah. Oh, oh. She appreciates me now. So I'm how sure. many children did she have? Three boys. Three boys. Because I do know one of her sons. Mm. Such an amazing actor. So uh, they're all in the arts. They're all mm. in the arts. So William run, run, basically took over his father's business and he runs the art gallery. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyriel is an actor. A, an actor and Philippe is a director. Wow. Mm. Well, you, you wouldn't have much chance to do anything else, no, would you, it. with those two as parents? 
she's really a quintessential Melbourne artist because her art is everywhere in the public space. So you've got that beautiful mural at Flinders Street Station, which I actually remember her doing. So she used to get us as her students to come and help her do little bits. So Mm. it's got a bit of mosaic, a bit of fresco. It's got everything. And it's it's really lovely. And people need to take the time to actually look at all the detail. Yeah. So there's that one. There's the little mosaic down at St Kilda Pier, which is sort of in a circle. It's a seat. Yes. And it's got bits of St Kilda in it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's behind the bar at the Dogs Bar... And you know the mm-hmm. dogs bar in St Kilda? No. Oh, where's that? You've got to go to yeah, the dogs bar. Yeah, where is it? Bar. Yeah. It's in Ackland opposite Street. Opposite McDonald's. But, yeah, opposite, mm. yeah, opposite McDonald's. And it's been closed during COVID, like dead, mm. like dead, gone. But I've heard that somebody's uh, released it and okay. it'll be reopened. Does it look like a house? No, it's very yeah. exotic. It's got lots of wrought iron at the front, and it's there's a little cafe on the corner. There's a little vegan cafe on the corner, and then it's because I've gone when I was living in St Kilda, I used to walk my dog down there, and Sunday afternoons, it's chockers goes off. I think one of our friends has taken um, Instagram stories from there because, and it was when it sort of tried to open back up again when mm. COVID did the whole thing and they had it out on the street. Right. And they always have like yeah, a little band. Oh. And, oh, they've and always got music. Go music yeah. all music there the time. every night. And yeah. there's a little art gallery around the walls. Oh. And it's very much a locals place. Mm. It's not mm-hmm. somewhere that, you know, the tourists from mm-hmm. the yeah. areas would go yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's lovely. Anyway, behind the, the bar, between the bar and the kitchen, there's a really beautiful Kamora painting, oh, like a mural on yeah. the walls. At Readings in St Kilda in Ackland Street, there's a whole this... the big column in as you walk in the door on the left-hand side. That's oh, a big mural of hers. Wow. Um, Chicholina's has got a few of her paintings yeah. on the walls. Uh-huh. In the back, in the back bar. Yeah, yeah. And in the front, in the in restaurant. The and she gone. did the first mm. Melbourne art tram. Did she? Now, you two, do you know about the art trams? Vaguely, I know what they are, but yeah, I don't know how they started. So or what Dick Hamer was probably, I reckon it might have been the 80s, early 80s. Dick Hamer, who was a very progressive liberal premier. Mm-hmm. Is that Hamer Hall? Yes. Is that what that, yeah. Dick yeah. Hamer was very progressive, and I'm saying more to the left of politics than uh-huh. the right. Than yeah. right. Yeah. For a liberal. Um, Yes, very unusual. Mm, Doesn't happen now. Mm. Um, He decided to have this big art project where he would get commission artists, or the government did, to commission artists to paint the trams. Mm, So mm. Lunig did one, Merka did one. All the big artists in Melbourne at the time did trams. And she had this beautiful tram. You can look it up, you know. Look it up because yep. it's a beautiful tram. And it went around the, the tram tracks of Melbourne for a couple of years and then they did a new project and so there were new ones. And I think currently there's another one happening with new it's, art trams. Yeah. Do you know what happened to the old ones? So it's a bit sad. They paint. So somebody bought it. They, so the government oh. auctioned them. They were in storage in Preston for right, years. Yeah. Then they auctioned them off and somebody, a, Mer- a lover of Merca's art, bought it and put it in their garden in Mount Eliza. And, of oh. course, it's gone all... It's oh, wrecked. It's gone to shit. So she 
She lived all over Melbourne. So originally she and after they decided, she and George, that McKinnon wasn't the place for them. <laughs> Not for them. Um, they moved. They heard about um, artist studios and residence in, in um, Collins Street at the top of Collins Street oh, called the Grosvenor Chambers, yeah. I think it was called. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. previous artists like Street and McCubbin, Roberts, they'd all rented studios in there. And it's still there. So because it's an historical building on the corner of Collins and Spring, there's a massive great skyscraper behind it, but they had to keep the facade of it. And George rented accommodation with a studio in that building, and then they got the city life. Now, mind you, Melbourne in that at that period wouldn't have been like Melbourne was pre-COVID, you know, with yeah. city life. Yeah. yeah. But nevertheless it was better than McKinnon. Yeah. A little bit. So they they created <laughs> this this, uh, you know, no insult to the people of McKinnon. No, that's no, this is McKinnon's true. a lovely suburb. It just didn't suit that's, George and Murray. Yeah, it's not yeah. for them. No. Yeah. So they started this salon, this Parisian salon. Mm. Like, oui. Yeah. And they and all the artists and performers would oh. all come to their place, and Merka would cook up a storm, and they'd drink oh, wine, so and they'd amazing. all have sex with each other, and oh, they'd, you know yeah, talk yeah. about their yeah. art and oh. yeah, stuff. And it got to the point where George and Merka were so generous with their their time and their food and their wine and their bodies. That they decided yes, and their bodies. That they decided that they had to open something, so they opened up a cafe called Merka. Uh-huh. In the city, uh-huh. and then all these people came to the cafe because they they got a license, so yeah. they could serve alcohol. Yeah, and Merka was very happy to entertain them with her breasts and her bottom. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and they were making money, and they made some money, and then that got so big. So, what year is that? Are we talking? Oh, let me see. Check Sorry. my notes. Edit it out. Merka's cafe was. Hmm, that's a good question. I think it was late 50s, early... Oh, it would have been mid-50s, actually. Yep. Right. yep. Because not long after that, it was at 183 Exhibition Street, and Joy Hester had her... Sue's a famous Melbourne artist, yep. part of the Heidi push. She um, had her first exhibition there. Because wow. women artists, wow. nobody gave a fuck about them. Mm, nobody course. gave mm. them any credit. Mm, Female artists have always suffered from being considered domestic artists. Mm. Well, that sh- that movie, Big Eyes. Oh, I don't know that one. That big... Oh, you've got to watch it about the woman that actually mm, painted pa- everything. Very famous paintings, you'd know them, but they've been, like, remember in the 70s, everyone would have those holly hobby kind of <laughs> things, and then there was just these pictures everywhere, prints of these kind of holly hobby looking mm, yes. with the with big the eyes. Massive oh, eyes. Well, that was, Creepy. That was a man, oh. an artist, who dro- did all that, was famous for doing it, and mm. made millions of dollars selling prints of them. It was his wife the whole his time. His wife painted them the You've whole time. You've got to watch the movie, Kerry. You'd love it. Yeah. It really goes into that about just how women yeah. were yeah. not given, she you know, would never the, have received, credit. She would never have received no, no, no. the um, no. accolades that her husband no. was. And so many women writers in history have had to assume men's yep. names, like Georges Sands, right? Yeah. Yep. So that they could get yep. published. That's yep. right. Well, a lot of the stories that we tell women who... You know, there's the woman who ran in the Boston race, or yep. as an example, but would always just put yes. their initials. Well, yeah. like, I mean, J.K. You know, Rowling J- did it recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Still, yeah. still. 
So there were no female role models for artists no. in, in Melbourne at that time and Melbourne was an absurdly, absurdly misogynistic society mm. at that point. So women who were artists always ended up painting domestic scenes. They would do mothers with children or children mm. or flower arrangements or still lives with a bowl of fruit, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm. They were never taken seriously as artists. Um, and Merkers, of course, you know, Merkers' art could be criticised for, for being very much from that feminine point of view of little cherubs and cute animals and things like that. But given her, her unique approach to art, her work is so recognisable. You know, you just know when you see a Merkur Mora. And because of her generosity, you know, like I said to you that she did the little drawing of the cherub for me, often if you go into people's houses, like I was at somebody's place the other day, and she had this little Merkur Mora pastel drawing on the wall. And I said to her, where did you get that from? And she said, oh, I had a, I went to a charity dinner and Mirka Mora was there and, and she said that she loved the, the look of my face so much that she did this little drawing for me on the oh, spot wow. and gave it to me. And that's the sort of thing that she always used to do. Wow. She was an amazing, that's amazing person. Yeah. But back to what she... Oh, yeah, and I wanted to tell you about the Archibald Prize. Yes, yeah. So you know how important the Archibald yeah. is in Australia, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you know how it's always... or. It's changing now, but it's always been about stuffy, conservative, middle-aged or elderly white men. Mm. Yes. Mm. Always. Yep. So fucking boring. A <laughs> hundred years of the Archibald was celebrated this year. And if you saw... Um, Who's that actress? Rachel Griffith's documentary. Yes. Have you seen that? I haven't seen it. Oh, it's it, fantastic. It's I want to. Yeah. If you saw that, she highlights that through 100 years of the Archibald, only 10 female painters have won it and only 17 female sitters have been in the subject of the winner. Mm-hmm. Wow. 100 years. 100 years. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Doesn't surprise me. No, true. But it is awful. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so after the Merca Cafe... George and Merca realised that they had to expand because it just got too much. So they opened up a beautiful restaurant in Wellington Parade, East Melbourne. Beautiful. Called The Balzac. Is that still there? No. The restaurant's still there, but it's not anything to do with them anymore. And actually, interestingly, the young man who leased that property to start a new restaurant recently... Was renovating upstairs and pulled plaster off the walls and no. found this amazing mural of Mercus behind the plaster. Oh my god! So you can go yeah. and eat up there now and look at her amazing oh, that's mural. Amazing. We're going. But George and Merca decided on that site because it was opposite the MCG. And the 1956 Olympics happened at the MCG. Oh, very smart. And they knew that all these the sophisticated Europeans, Europeans are going to want to go somewhere to eat. So they were smart people. They made a lot of money out of that. Wow. Good for them. Yes. I love that. And then after they sold that, they moved out of St Kilda because George took a lease on the Tolano Hotel in Fitzroy Street um, and set up that beautiful restaurant at the front. Now, the interesting story about that is that that's always been a French restaurant and it's full of Merca's murals. They're Mm. all over the wall. It's wraparound Merca. And there were even, she even painted the windows, which I think now somebody's cleaned up. I don't think the paintings are on the windows anymore. But I did, through the, the Jewish Museum, the Jewish Museum, I did a walking tour of St Kilda 
with Serge Thoman. I don't know if you've ever met Serge. Mm-hmm. Serge used to be the deputy mayor of Port Phillip. He's right. French. And he was very, very close to Merca. Merca actually described him as her adopted son. Um, And he did a walking tour of St Kilda with Merca Moore, showing us Merca Moore's things. And it was in French, so that was very interesting. And he took us to Tolano. He had a key to everything. And he took us to Tolano, which has now been deserted. Its business closed down years ago. Mm. I think Grossi ran it for a while. And he led us into the building and we stood in this deserted restaurant and it was so funny because the mural at the back, I knew because Merca had told me years ago that she painted her lover in the mural. And I was being a bit of a provocatrice mm-hmm. and decided to channel Merca a little bit. So I said to Serge, oh, tell us, Serge, which one is Merca's lover in that painting? And he said, oh, um, it's that one there. And he pointed to it. Ooh. Then after we stood in the restaurant and we were looking at all the paintings on the on the walls, um, he took us upstairs and Merca did things in the toilets. He de- she designed these lovely um, handles in the toilets. And the guy who owns that um, hotel now is an art collector and he's filled the hotel with all this amazing art. Not Merca's art, but mm. uh, uh, there is a painting of Merca's on the wall, but amazing art. It's just the most incredible that's little an, secret. See, the beauty of Melbourne, Yes, yeah. I've always said it, Yeah, Sydney, I love Sydney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm really grieving for Sydney right now, yeah, but yeah. I do love Sydney. Yeah. But unless you live by the harbour, it's a pretty ordinary city. Exactly. Yeah. Sydney yeah. is like a beautiful woman yeah. that doesn't need to do anything else. Yeah. Mm. I've always said about Sydney and Melbourne, last time I lived in Melbourne, it, a lot of people in Melbourne, Melbourneites would say to me, oh, you're from Sydney. What do you prefer, Sydney or Melbourne? And I'd like Melbourne. And they're like, oh, you know, they'd be really chuffed. And I would say to all of them, you have got to stop with this because Sydney doesn't even know you exist mm. and you don't want it to because no. this is the best kept secret in this country and you don't, you're the best. Just be happy with that. Mm-hmm. It is. Like, I would say Sydney is like the hot sister, and Melbourne is like the quirky, interesting, creative sister. Absolutely. Beyonce, Solange. <laughs> yeah. So she and George divorced. Oh, did they? Very much to her her sadness. Oh, she said that he was the love of her life. No. But you know, they had they had a very French marriage, which mm-hmm. means that as long as you were home for dinner with the family every night, that anything else was. Don't see, don't tell. What is that how you say it? Mm. So they had their various lovers, although Merca had the lover that was in the painting. Mm. Um, he was her lover for about 40 years, I think. Wow. Oh, so goodness. consistently. So Merca says that she remembers one... They had separate bedrooms in the Tolano Hotel. And she remembers one morning, this very attractive young woman coming out of George's bedroom, and she says to herself, I don't think she was singing him a lullaby. So I think... And please, you know, don't take me to court over this, but Mm. I think that woman got pregnant and George decided he needed to marry her. So they divorced. Um, Merca bought herself her own house in Barclay Street, St Kilda. Mm -hmm. So there's a Merca Lane next to the house. There there. is! Mm You know, near, yes. Yep, near Merca the wood, Lane. Wood frog baker. Yes. Um, oh, there is too. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And she was so pleased that she actually could have her own house. Yeah. And she realised that the positive aspects of divorce, despite the fact that she was very sad, was that she could now make her own decisions and live her own life. Yeah, outweighed. And yeah. be independent yep. and, yeah. and have fun that way. So what happened with her towards the end of her life was she... She actually got Alzheimer's right. and her son, William, 
realised that his mother needed looking after. So he built in Richmond, he built a new gallery, um, which is upstairs now, Tolano Gallery, I think he still calls it. He might call it William Moore, I don't know. And he had a little kind of unit attached to the gallery mm. where his mum could live and paint, so oh, a studio and all of that. So he looked after her towards oh. the end of her life. And then I was invited for her 90th birthday with one of the divas, one of my singing girlfriends. I was invited to sing at her 90th birthday. Oh, wow. What year was that? Oh, that's a good question. Well, she was born in 28, so that would have been 18. 2018. There you go. There you go. And we, we asked what sort of a repertoire did they want, her sons want us to sing, and they said... Look, you know, Mum's got Alzheimer's, so just sing a few old French old songs. French songs yeah. So we did. Oh, we sang a bit of a PF and oh. a bit of children's songs oh, from France, yes. and oh. it was really lovely. And yeah. she loved it. Yeah. And at the end, she did her usual thing with a cake, flushed her boobs. She put her face in it. <laughs> I don't remember a flash no, of tits. She great. did put her she face, put face in, in a cake. Oh. I do love putting my face in a cake. Well, eating. That's so good. So then not long after that, she died. She was mm. 92, I think, when wow. she died. Um, and she was the first female artist to have a state funeral. Wow. Wow. And she it died was last year. It was at the Palais, mm-hmm. and the Palais was wow. full. Mm. It would have been absolutely chockers with mm. just people who knew so, like, so many things about her and loved well, because, so much about her. You know, as I said, she was so generous and she mm. loved people. Yeah. She just loved being with people yeah. and finding out about them and, you know, hearing yeah. their stories. You know what she once told me, and this is something I've never forgotten, ladies. Yes. It's a lesson in life. All right. Okay. She said to me once, never let your lover see you put out the dustbin. You don't want to... Don't get domestic with your lovers. Okay, okay. Because that destroys romance. Yes. That's why marriage is not a good idea. Well, thank you so much for joining us. That, that was, was so interesting. It was Thank you for doing all that research. Really yes. appreciate well, it. And she sounds like... I've still got so much I know, but she yeah, sounds like she really touched your life personally yeah. as well, which is great. Mm, so we honour her. Merka Mora, we honour you. And we we're really glad that she exists, existed, and she's made a huge indent in your life. And you're such a wonderful person. So thank God for her. And in, if you're ever in Melbourne, just do a little Mercamora tour. I'm happy to run it for you. Oh, well, we would oh, love, we will take you up on that. This podcast is produced by Evie, Annie, and Sammy. Edited by Annie and Sammy. Be sure to check out Sammy's podcast, Confessions of the Idiots.